Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. So happy to be here with you. You know, it's great to be here after some technical difficulties. Uh, it seems to be kind of a weekly thing with me and my with my ancient laptop here. Uh, that's, that's the only thing I can think of. They gave me this laptop when I came to the Dallas Morning News in 1985. <laughs> that could factor into it. <laughs> yeah. No, just kidding. We didn't even have laptops back then. And joining us also, Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. How are you? Yeah, technical difficulties is, is not the way I would sum this thing up. It's For you, it's more like technical regularities. Um, we really need to work on your whole computer uh, functionality. Functionality. It's, I, I want to I stress to our listeners that it's not something with me. I am not a computer. Uh, it is it is my equipment that I am forced to work with here that is the problem. Are you familiar with the phrase operator error? Yeah, I, I knew that's that what you would turn it into is that, you know, I'm not like you that, oh, I've got all this swell gear that I that I get the company to buy for me. Hey, I need to have this. I need to have that. Oh, I'm Evan Grant. I have to have all these nice new things. Well, the intros really kept the listeners' attention. <laughs> All I have to say is you started it, Evan. So, uh, anyway. I, I believe he called you a troglodyte when you were trying to get back on earlier. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I, I, I knew that was coming. Where he was going point. with that. but Yes, I knew that was coming at some point. Speaking of troglodytes, uh, that's what the Cowboys look like uh, against uh, the Chiefs up in Kansas City, wasn't it, David? It was for a game that was that highly anticipated and the Cowboys acknowledged that this was going to be a, a measuring stick for where they were. Uh, you know, it's not just if, if you just put it on the face of it and you say you lose to a Kansas city team in Arrowhead stadium that has been to the last two Super Bowls and won one title, you're going to say, okay, why is that such an, a heinous crime? Uh, the, the issue here was the Cowboys offense gave them absolutely positively no chance to win. This was the number ranked offense in the NFL. Uh, it is the identity of this team, even though they've been making strides defensively. There is no question this team is driven uh, and, and its success is driven by what it does offensively. And it prides itself on not only being explosive, but efficient and able to adapt uh, to whatever defenses throw at them. To not score a touchdown in a game where you said we're, we're going to use this as a measuring stick to confirm that we are one of the top teams in the league, in my mind, all it did was prove at this moment you are not one of the top teams in the league. Now you have seven weeks left. That's an eternity in today's NFL. There have been a lot of upsets around the NFL over these last two to three weeks. It's not just uh, the, the Cowboys. And again, that wasn't an upset. Kansas City was favored. They were at home. But the fact that Dallas, a team that is known for its offensive acumen, could not score a touchdown and really did not come close to scoring a touchdown and keeping that game competitive when the defense did, the defense gave them every opportunity to win that game. Um, look, I don't want to hear about how the Cowboys are a top contender uh, for the Super Bowl this year. 
I believe they're still a contender. You don't want to overreact to that game. But everything they didn't show in that game shows you um, that they're not in that upper echelon of two to three to four teams who we should be talking about as far as a favorite uh, to get to L.A. this year for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I would I would still debate that. I mean, I, I, I just look around the NFC and I'm, I'm saying, who's definitively better? Um, I guess you could make the case for, for – Arizona, if they've got DeAndre Hopkins and, and Kyler Murray both playing. Um, I'm not sure what to make of Green Bay. I I thought that that game was a dud for the Cowboys on so many levels, but I'm still not so certain. I don't feel like I, I, I come away any more, any less convinced that they are at the top tier of the NFC teams. It was a bad game. It's a bad performance. They've had a couple of those in the last three weeks but I'm not so sure my confidence in them is shaken. But I think here's, here's my issue with all that. Look, before the season started, I had this penciled in as an L, you sure. know, uh, and I think everybody did. And Tampa Bay to open the season on the road. You had both of those losses and those are two of the three losses they had this season at right. Tampa Bay and at Kansas city, the two teams to play in last year's Super Bowl by a total of 12 points. Look right. at that on the face of it. And you go, well, they're close. I think they're close. I'm just saying they're not there yet. No, I, I agree with David. I, I think that the, the thing about this team, uh, and, and Evan, the, the point about losing this game was, look, the game against Tampa Bay, it was terrific. I mean, coming out of the box with your quarterback coming back after being out all last season, losing by two points, and, that, and even then, moving on the road to the defending Super Bowl champs on a last-minute play by, by, by the Bucks. well, there's no shame in that at all. That was very impressive. You know, and that set the tone for the season. But losing like you did to Kansas City, where you showed absolutely no clue on offense. It's not like you lost. Okay, we lost thirty-five to thirty-one, and 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 the, and the, everything looked great, and some things didn't go perfectly well. But this was an opportunity to establish yourself as a team that can rise to the occasion. You know, when you talk about a team's record, like, you know, seven and three is obviously a really good record in the NFC these days. You know, there's just a few, there's just a couple of teams that have better records than that. And that's fine. But the, the the regular season gets thrown out when you get in the playoffs. Every game is a big game and you expect teams to be able to rise to the occasion. This was a time to rise to the level of the competition that you're playing and the Cowboys failed miserably. No, I, I, I think, I think to your point, Kevin, um, what you just said is that this was an opportunity for them to establish themselves as far and away as the NFC favorite. And they, they did not seize that opportunity. I don't know that it makes me doubt them anymore, but it certainly, certainly it was an opportunity missed. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Well, no question. So let's talk about, you know, we, we talked enough about, you know, what a screw up all that was. I do want to say the very first play of the game, Dak overthrows Michael Gallup by five yards. Uh, I, you know, and I had people write me and say this to me, and I and I felt the same way watching the game. It's like, oh no, you know, it's almost like you knew immediately this is a problem. You know, when he misses a guy by a wide open player by five yards, that was a really bad sign, and it turned out that way. And the ba- the one bad sign I wanted to ask you guys about was the was the interception right before halftime. I felt like that was an opportunity where they could have slowed down a little bit, used the timeout there, and then I thought that ball was underthrown. Was it, that ball should have been over the back shoulder more, right? Yeah, you got to throw it in the back of the end zone on that play. That's just you know that's what you teach quarterbacks to do. You throw this ball in the back of the end zone, 
uh, and and give your guy a chance where he's going to catch it, but nobody else. Uh, and and that's that's what you want to do. Uh, I, I just thought that that listen, it looked so much like the Denver game. Same thing. Dak looked a little lost. He was a little erratic, getting a lot of drops too. I, I think this team is uncommonly affected by Dak's play. If Dak is a little bit off, it's like the whole team just goes, "Oh my gosh." What happens now? And you, you got guys dropping balls left and right and the team not playing well. It's like it it just spreads like a virus throughout the team. So I I, I think that – and that's why it's incumbent upon and, – and this is what David wrote and I wrote about it as well – is that it's incumbent upon Dak to step up here, man. You know, I, you're getting paid a lot of money to do this. You're getting paid $40 million a year. A lot of bad things have happened. You've got other guys on the team. Uh, you've got – Micah Parsons has been moved all around the field. He's a rookie. He's missing both defensive ends. They're playing him at linebacker, inside, outside. They're playing him at defensive end, and he's playing like an all-world talent doing it. And he's lifting up the defense while he's doing that. That defense is is playing. It's overachieving. I don't think there's any question to me that defense is overachieving. You got no, that was the most encouraging part aspect of that game on Sunday, right? Was the defensive performance and particularly Micah Parsons. No yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah. You go in and you say on the road. I, I also believe it's the only the fourth time in his career that Patrick Mahomes has not scored a touchdown, thrown or scored a touchdown in a game. Um, you know, he, he didn't he didn't look that good either. Um, no. I mean, that Dallas defense, you know, they got off to a strong start and got a lead, which Dallas usually does to teams. Um, but then they only had three points in, in the second half. And in Dallas, there were a lot of three and outs. Dallas, uh, by and large, contained, I think, Tariq Hill and Kelsey as much as you can. Uh, both were under 100. Uh, you know, you, you didn't get the sense that, that Kansas City was going to break loose there. And uh, look, I, I would say Micah Parsons was the most dominant player on the field, except for Chris Jones in the, in the Kansas yeah. City defensive front, he who destroyed good. the Cowboys' offensive line. The, the offensive line across – so, yeah, I know people are going to say, well, why are you jumping at all at Dak's cleats? I mean, the offensive line was overpowered, and they were. Um, but you, you can't continually have this narrative of when they win, it's because of Dak, and when they lose, it's because of everyone else. Uh, Dak, for the second time in three games, did not have a good game. And as Kevin said, a player at his position, at his level – at the level he's been playing all season, his responsibility is to elevate the play of those around him, not reflect the poor performance of those around him if they're dropping balls or doing this or doing that. And and that's what you did not see in that game. And I, you know, I, you know, I wrote it going into the game, not to sound like Kevin, but it, but if you would have read the Sunday Dallas Morning News, um, but. You know, I, I thought this was this could have been a big statement game for Dak Prescott if he would have gone in there, beaten Patrick Mahomes on the road to get Dallas to eight, uh, you know, eight and two, and he's already was in consideration for the MVP race. That would have put him vaulted him to the top of the conversation. Again, a lot can change over the last seven weeks, but now you go. Okay, this was his big moment, and he responds this way. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna move on to some other guys. That's the opportunity that he missed, right, David? Because with no all those question. guys out with Lamb, with Lamb hurt, with with Cooper out, with the offensive line decimated, I had somebody text me on Sunday night and say, 
is Dak Prescott a franchise quarterback? And my response to him was, you know, I think he's top-tier NFL quarterback right now, but you win a game like that on the road in those circumstances, in the thick of a playoff hunt, that's the thing that kind of elevates you to franchise quarterback, right? I mean, that was the sure. opportunity. The darkness. And, and very quickly, I know we need to move on here and look, kind of look forward rather than looking back on, on this whole thing. But, um, and, and that's what you've seen. That's the separation, right? How often have you seen Aaron Rodgers go into a game without Devontae Adams? In fact, look at his record without Devontae Adams, who's his best receiver. I think he's something like five and one without Devontae Adams. Look when they've lost all of their receivers. And, they're lo- and what, what did Tom D- Brady do? And what was his receiving core for so long in New England? That, that's the difference. They've taken guys who aren't necessarily acclaimed and done something. Dallas has gone out. They've gotten you Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup. I know they weren't all there at that game. But to start the game, you had two of the three, and you weren't able to do anything then. So, yeah, I think that's a uh, that, that's the separation. And the other thing very quickly is, you know, Dak isn't as exciting or compelling as a player of, say, like as a uh, Kyler Murray or some of the other top quarterbacks. You don't look at his game and go, wow. So he has to fight that, I think, a little bit in the MVP. And how do you fight that? You fight that by winning games and being the top-ranked passer in the league, which he was going into this game. And now this week, he's dropped all the way to sixth. All right, let's look at the, what's coming up for the Cowboys. Now, obviously, on Thursday, we've got the, the, the Raiders here. That's the, the last of the AFC West schedule. Thank goodness for the Cowboys. It's good for them. Yeah, here's yeah. the other one real quick. Dallas has averaged 35.4 points against every team in the league, not in the ASC West, and they've averaged 15 points in their three games against teams against the ASC West. Yeah, I'm thinking they're going to be able to do better than that against the Raiders, but I don't want to go out on a limb too much with this team. I'm all over the map with them like the last four weeks. Uh, They they do the exact opposite of what I expect them to do every week. Um, So uh, I, I do think they'll get back on the schedule here or on their tracks here against the Raiders. And then next week, uh, they're going to be on the road in New Orleans. That's a tough place to play. The Saints aren't what they used to be, especially without uh, you know Jameis Winston. That's been a really a tough road for them. Uh, but it, New Orleans is always a tough place to play, especially at night when the fans have gotten a little lubricated. Uh, it's a it's a noisy, raucous kind of place. Uh, and then, I'm still uh, I'm, I'm I'm still stuck on these sentence. The Saints aren't what they used to be without Jameis Winston. Well, they they were a little bit better. I'm, I didn't want to go back to Drew Brees. You know, I don't always go back that far. I'm just they not sure I've ever good. thought about Jameis in that way. <laughs> well, they, they were actually being playing pretty well with Jameis Winston uh, before he got hurt, and they were actually uh, kind of a contender. And now they're just slowly sliding out of the of, of the league. So, not a good uh, pace for them. Uh, then you got uh, at Washington, at New York, and then Washington at home again, and and not until. January the 2nd, do you get what is really another true test for this Cowboys team? Now, I know we can make the case that that some of these teams have come up with some weird wins. Washington came up with a win last week. You know, it, it, there there are some games that, that do sneak up on you here. I do think we should point out here uh, as we come, as the Cowboys come up on the Giants game in, uh, in the middle of uh, December that Jason Garrett is no longer with us. I don't mean that he's well, no. Well, he's still with us. He's just not with. He's not employed by the New York Football Giants. Well, I guess we, we felt like that was not a marriage made to last, and that whole thing with Joe Judge. You know, from the very beginning, it seemed like they they told Joe, "Hey, this is going to be your offensive coordinator." You're taking this guy. 
Yep. Yeah, and that has not worked out. Uh, so, so thought he might make it through through two full seasons, though. Um, yeah, not quite though. No. Uh, yeah, so so you know that's the thing about the Cowboys. We're we're not going to get another uh, you know measuring stick game until January. You know, there's, a, there's only one left. All they all they can do is you can think less of them for losing some of these games along the way. And that and that can hurt their confidence and erode their confidence as the season goes on if they lose a couple more of these games. Uh, knowing what they didn't do in Kansas City, now you throw a couple more losses in while you're waiting to get to Arizona. Um, so, yeah, it, how yeah, this just team... Just because there's not a measuring stick against a playoff, com- a playoff contender, right, doesn't mean there aren't measuring sticks. Exactly. If you lose some of these games, you're taking a step backwards. I think what's incumbent upon the Cowboys is – and granted, they took advantage of a bad Atlanta team, but they put together a really good football game after that beating against Denver. It's incumbent upon them to come out and serve a similar kind of message against the Raiders on Thursday. Sure, and we're in the midst of three games in two, three games in twelve days, and I think we've all maintained that they really to maintain their cushion, uh, they need to go two and one in this. Well, they've lost the one, so now they need to get these two. If they go one and two here. The way Philly is coming on, I it's still hard for me to see the division being in doubt. But now suddenly the Eagles are in play, and that's a narrative that you thought you would you would put to rest. No question about it. All right, that'll do it for our Cowboys segment. I want to move on now to uh, uh, the Rangers and baseball and free agency and and there are four. Well, there's actually five uh, big name shortstops available out there in free agency, but we. For uh, I guess Evan has just dismissed Javier Baez and decided that he doesn't really count. Uh, so we're we're just going to talk about the other four who are available: uh, uh, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, uh, Trevor Story, and the fourth uh, uh, Marcus Simeon. I was this close to saying Trevor Simeon again. This <laughs> close. I think what messes me up on that is is Trevor Story and then Trevor Simeon, the quarterback. Quarterback uh, for the Saints. For the Saints now, yeah. yeah so it's it, um, uh, it always it always messes me up. And I just want to say this on, on before we get into this, but on Baez, I, I, he's had two bad years after a really good year. I think that the thing about Javi Baez that is really concerning is how much he swings and misses. It's even another level above some of the other guys. I think if they if I'd be real curious to see what happens if they miss out on any of these top four. Would the Rangers go and get Baez on a shorter term deal? I, I think that's a possibility, but you know, it's just like we discussed a little bit earlier. If 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 you're trying to buy something a high price, if you're going to spend a lot of money on something, aren't you going to spend a lot of money on something that's going to fix or at least come close to repairing your biggest problem? And the pro- the biggest problem for me in this in this Rangers offense is the fact, other than the fact they don't score runs, is it's just too much swing and miss. And so, uh, and and that's why and I'm, that's going to be my perfect segue into the guy that I think they should go after, who is Corey Seager. Uh, he is the best overall, the best offensive player of the four. Uh, he is go- going to all he, he he puts the ball in play. Uh, he he hits the ball hard. Uh, the only question that there have been two questions about Corey Seager. One, how durable is he? He's missed a lot of time. He had Tommy John surgery, missed all the 2018 season. That's that's a big mark against him. He's had a little bit of hamstring problems. 
He also missed some time with a broken hand. He got hit by a pitch. I don't consider the TJ or the hand, you know, the uh, broken hand. Those aren't chronic issues. So I, I don't expect that to be a problem going forward. He's 27 years old, like Carlos Correa. Correa is the youngest of the group. He's four uh, months younger than than Seager is. I just think that Seager is a little bit better hitter. Uh, he's his his numbers are have been excellent. I, I was surprised when I looked this up the other day that his slash line is the best of any in a, in a career mark of any Ranger since since a Rod. You know, it, it's just a, amazing what kind of career he's been able to put up so far. So that's that's my argument for Corey Seager. Well, I I think my argument is is multi multi leveled and on on two for on on this front I think these are all elite shortstops. I'm not sure that any of these guys are franchise changing shortstops. Um went back and did some looking at the 300 million dollar contract, 250 million dollar contracts and the offensive numbers that those players who had signed those kinds of deals put up versus these guys. And there is a difference. There's a significant difference. Um, and so in that regard, I, I so still, give us the example of the guys you're talking about there, Evan. The, uh, the, the seven free agents who had signed $250 million deals were Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Alex Rodriguez on two different occasions, Anthony Rendon, uh, Albert Pujols, and Robinson Cano. All of those you know, guys. Carlos Stanton did, did also. That was, that was an extension with the Marlins. That was not a free agent contract. Okay. Why can't that, is that, though? He's making a lot of money. Yes. No, I mean, there are 13 total contracts of $250 million or more, but I just I broke it down on the free agents and um, and also the, the guys who re-signed with their original clubs. Um, and, and the thing that all these guys had in common on the free agent market is they had put together seasons of seven war or better. They had put together a, a 30 home run season or better. They had put together an MVP top three finish. Seager had a top three finish his first full year in the big leagues. But if you look at his numbers since then, uh, the durability thing has come into question. Um, and, and the offensive numbers have dropped, uh, not significantly, but the offensive numbers have dropped. So what it gets down to me is you can make an argument that Trevor, Sto- that uh, Carlos Correa or Corey Seager are the best player. And on different weeks, I've leaned towards best player. But I feel like the best fit, given the the total dollars that would have to be involved and how much the difference is from the best player down to Trevor Story, not significant enough for me to be willing to go out and invest 280 or $300 million versus potentially 150 or $160 million. I, I think there's going to be a difference in the term of the AAV for, uh, for Story. Um, maybe about a difference of five or six million dollars a year. I think there's a difference in the total market dollars uh, that's going to be significant. And I think if you do that, it then gives you the possibility of getting back in there and signing Marcus Simeon too to be your second baseman. Now, if that's your middle infield, um, you're looking at a totally different dynamic. Well, now see that's that's what I, that's a great point that you make, and I, I certainly could go with Trevor Story as a shortstop if you thought he was going to sign for that kind of money. What gives you the indication he will sign for that kind of money? Well, I mean, of of that group, I think he is, if we're taking bias out of that group, I I think of that group, he is the, he is uh, two years older than the other guys. He's 29. Simeon's the oldest at 31. He's coming off something of a down year in Colorado. And there's always going to be kind of that, that, that skepticism about 
how do the numbers in Colorado translate elsewhere? So I think there's going to be a little bit of a difference between Trevor Story's uh, AAV and the, the the two guys who are 26 and 27. So who is uh, who is Story's agent? Um. Oh goodness, I I keep dropping that one. I believe it's Sports One. But it's not Scott Boris. No, it's not Scott Boris. Scott Boris represents both Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. He represents outfielders the Rangers have been connected to and Michael Conforto and Nicholas Castellanos. He represents pitchers like uh, Yusei Kikuchi. But no, he does not actually represent Trevor Story. Well, I think what's interesting here for me is in this whole argument and, and just what you said, because I that had been out there about a month ago that the Rangers might actually be interested in trying to sign two of these guys. Because I am very intrigued by, by Marcus Simeon. Uh, he's a guy that when he came into the league was a terrible shortstop, made 35 errors one year. Ron Washington went to work on him, uh, and, and as Ron Washington does with lots of people, made him into a gold glove player eventually. He made, Of course, he made it at second base, not at shortstop. But there are a couple of things here. Yes, he is older. He is 31, and that would be a concern for a team that's not a contender yet, won't be a contender this next season either. But – the thing I like about Marcus Simeon and, and doing some of this research, I saw something the other day that said, of the four guys, the ones that had the, that, uh, that that handled pitches of 95 mile an hour or better uh, was actually Marcus Simeon. Uh, and and you also hear a lot of things about, and he's, and he's played in a lot of games. He's I think he's missed fewer games than any of the other guys as, as well. So I don't want to dismiss him because he's 31 years old. Uh, he, he seems to be holding up really well athletically and secondly he has a great reputation in the clubhouse uh as a guy that is and i think that is not to be overlooked here uh as uh, going forward so so to no, me the, the culture element can't be overlooked i mean because you you are in, in addition to the, the the caliber of play you're looking to establish a culture and i think again Simeon is 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 a kind of guy who, who fits that I'm not going to sit here and disparage either. I'm not going to disparage Carlos Correa. I know he was caught up in the in the cheating issue, but everything I've been told is that Carlos Correa is an outstanding teammate. I think some of the comments he's made about Derek Jeter were unnecessary and put his foot in his mouth a little bit. But he just clumsy. I, I don't think you're getting a bad in any of those four shortstops. You are not getting. You're not, there's a, not a bad choice among any of those shortstops, and there's certainly not a bad character among any of those guys. I, I don't. I don't like what a lot of Rangers fans say about Correa and on the whole Astros thing. And listen, he stood up for his teammates, and that's what every clubhouse. That's what you want is a guy standing up for your teammates. Uh, so I, I'm not going to knock any of those guys for those reasons either. I think if they get any one of those four, they're doing well. Uh, but I think if they could get two, that would be great. Before we go to the next segment, yes, sir. But and this is with everything that you just said overall context of not necessarily just the best talent, the best fit, however you do it, each of you put them in order from one to four and how you would proceed in the best case scenario. Well, if I'm going to try, if I'm going to get two of the four, then I'm going to take, it's going to be story Simeon and then, you know, uh, uh, Seager Correa, simply because Correa is going to be the most expensive of the group. He's really the best player. Yeah, for whatever reasons you want to put them in whatever order. Yeah, and and cost is a legitimate reason. Do you want to be paying that much to someone who's not going – you're not really going to build the team around going forward because that creates other issues? 
No, I, I agree with Kevin. I mean, I, I think that if I was ranking them and the, the real possibility existed to get two of those guys, then I would put my choices, Story slash Semyon first, Seeger second, Correa third. Um, and, and really, it almost comes down to me that give me the, the Story-Seeger combination or either of the other two. There's, there's not much difference for me. Um, if I had to choose strictly based on best player – I think that right now I'd have to say that Corey Seager is the best player of the group. And if I only had one guy and I had to sink all my dollars into it, I'd have no problem with it being Corey Seager. All right. That's going to do it for our uh, Rangers free agent shortstop segment. Uh, we're going to move over to a little potpourri now. We're talk about a little bit about uh, what is uh, an imminent move. Uh, everything that I've here and everything that Joe Hoyt hears that uh, Sonny Dykes will be leaving SMU after the game Saturday against Tulsa uh, to become the head coach at TCU, replacing Gary Patterson. That's been uh, – not a long drive. Yeah, not a long drive. I think that's that's probably why the reason he did it, you know. I don't have to go very far. Uh, I don't think he can get away with living in Dallas. Uh, he walks to work uh, now. I don't think that uh, he, he can uh, boast that if he goes to TCU. No. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's uh, – uh, it, I haven't done enough research on this yet, but I believe he would be the only, only the second head coach to go from one of the Metroplex schools to the other one. The other one being Matty Bell, who was at TCU and then went to SMU in the fifties. Uh, tell us some Matty tell Bell story. You know about Matty Bell? I'll tell you everything I know about Matty Bell. No, he, he actually he was a a really really great coach. He did a great job at TCU, great job at SMU as well. Uh, and then he was the athletic director at SMU. Uh, for several years into the 60s. So uh, he uh, had a lot of success at both places. But I will say this, uh, you know, that this does actually happen. It's going to heat up the O'Wire and Skillet a little bit. I can't imagine the SMU people will be happy to see this. And I, and I want to talk to you guys about what, so why would he want to do this? Why, and there was a time, you know, I've covered colleges around here for a long time. There was a time that that was, you know, you're going backwards. If you're going from SMU to TCU, you're going backwards. Yeah, that was pre-death penalty though. Well, that was pre- that was pre-death penalty, but even a long time after that, I can tell you right now. For, well, Dallas for- has that attitude toward Fort Worth anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. No, no, it does. I mean, it does. That's the whole. I mean, it's like well, Fort Worth. I mean, not Dallas is the real city. Fort Worth is 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 a town. Dallas well, is a city. It's a, it's, a, it's the world's biggest small town. Uh, but the but the, the the issue about that is that you go to Fort Worth uh, and you go to TCU. That is Fort Worth school. You know. TCU, you know, uh, Fort Worth claims TCU. Dallas does not claim SMU, and that's and that has been an issue. And and certainly Sonny Dykes has tried to rectify that. They got the jerseys with Dallas across the front. You, you don't see that on any other uh, school in the country except for Auburn. And, you know, just because the school's named after the town. Listen, so, and, and the, it, the, neither school is their town's team. The Cowboys are this are, are this area's team, and you're fighting for second. Well, as far as the colleges go, it's probably still Texas and A and M. But well, I think TCU, you may, listen. You got to get you got to get over to Fort Worth a little more often. TCU, they, people there love their they love their TCU, and it is it has become much more of a. a it's of part a of the team. fabric of the city there in a way SMU has not been because there are so many more options for entertainment, sports, or otherwise here. A hundred percent on that. And uh, Kevin, you made this point last week, though. I mean, and I thought you made a definitive point. When I brought up, I'm not so sure how attractive the Big 12 is, uh, you, you still made a pretty strong argument that the Big 12 is a conference that's going to be a significant step above 
the AAC. Oh, there's and, no question about that. And that's why you do it. I mean, look, but here's the thing. So why do you go to TCU instead of Texas Tech? Sonny could have gone to Texas Tech. He probably would have been, I don't know if he was would have been the first choice. He certainly would have been the first or second choice there. Uh, and he, he didn't do that. Uh, his dad coached out there. He lived out there. Sonny went to Texas Tech. He played baseball at Tech. He didn't take that job. Why is TCU a better job than Tech? For those of us who have been around a long time, that's a crazy thing to think about, that TCU is a better job than Texas Tech. Uh, and 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 that we have to give Gary Patterson all the credit in the world. Gary Patterson making, made it a better job. Is, he is he a made it a better there, There's no question about that. There's no other program in the state that one coach made it. Uh, you know, certainly Dennis Francione got it up and going, but he wasn't there long enough to really give him too much credit. Gary took over from him, and and he made it into that. He he helped raise all that money and make all the improvements out there. You know, it's it's just. Uh, the facilities are really good. You see people talking about it nationally, calling it a good job. I, that just blows my mind that people talk about TCU nationally as a good job. There was a time when it was a miserable job. Uh, and, and into the 80s, it was, a, and even into the 90s, it was, into the late 90s, it was a miserable job. So Gary Patterson did a, uh, an unbelievable job. Ultimately, what cost him uh, probably some personality uh, issues, also, the fact that probably even a, a much larger part, besides the fact that they weren't winning as much anymore, was that his reluctance to go into the transfer portal, he, he was on record as saying he didn't like it. Uh, no one has taken advantage of the transfer portal better, uh, in my mind, than Sonny Dykes at SMU. Uh, and so I think those are the things that, that at TCU, they're looking at those kind of things. that You have to be able to take advantage of that. Uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's easier to find good players in the portal than it is to try to recruit them out of high school. Some of those kids come out of high school. To those schools. Oh, absolutely. No, no yeah. question. It, you know, because you, you, go to, you go to Auburn, you go to Alabama, you go to Texas, you don't get to play, you, you, you're out. I, I'm leaving now. And so now you've got a shot at this kid who maybe was a three, four-star player. So those, those are real things that they were looking for at uh, TCU. Right. So, you're not you're not going to get those four-star athletes very regularly at these schools. But no, no, but they not. go to, they go to Georgia like just I mean Justin Fields is is an anomaly cuz he went from Georgia to Ohio State, but you get these guys that go to the SEC and and the and, and the Big 10 schools, they don't play their freshman year um, and maybe they experience with that that team going to the playoff or going to um uh, a really good bowl situation, but they don't get to play. So they've had the winning experience. Now they want to play. Yeah, no question about it. No question about it. So that, that looks like a done deal. And the guy that's going to replace him, it looks like a done deal at SMU. Rhett Lashley is the offensive coordinator at Miami. He had also been an offensive coordinator at SMU and, and Auburn as well. Uh, so uh, they have a, the whole thing lined up. Uh, if that happens, uh, that would be a, probably a good move for SMU. A lot of those players were recruited by Rhett Lashley. So they know him. He knows the place. It looks like it's all set up. The dominoes are just about ready to fall. But uh, so one question on that before we go, Kevin. Yes, sir. If Gary Patterson built as a TCU and he's out of a job, why would he not be a good candidate for SMU right now? I think just what we just talked about. I think that the the, the feeling about Gary is that, uh, you know, the game has passed him by a little bit. His era uh, has come and gone? A little bit. Uh, he needs to reinvent himself if he wants to be con continue to be a head coach. 
Uh, and that's going to be difficult for him uh, to go find a place. I mean, he can find a place to do that, but but gosh, do you really want to subject yourself to that? I think that Gary Patterson would be much better off if, if, if Texas is looking for a defensive coordinator, a new one, and they should be, that Gary Patterson would be the unbelievably best hire they could make on that. So I think that that certainly should, should still be a possibility out there. And would I he think- be willing to do that, do you think, after being a head coach for so long? I think he would in a place like Texas. I think he, got, he goes to Texas, he's going to look like a hero again, and he won't have to deal with the media, and he won't have to do any of the things that he has to do now and some of the things that got him into trouble. He can just coach, and he can coach really good athletes. I'd love to see what Gary Patterson could do with three- and four-star athletes on defense. He's been he's made a career out of, out of taking a running back and putting him at defensive end, and, yeah. and the guy goes on to play in the NFL for 10 or 15 years. Uh, I'd love to see what he does with a guy – that coming out of the box is a four or five star player. Is there any reason why Del Conte wouldn't want him uh, again? Don't think so. Don't think there was an issue there. Okay. Uh, I, I think that, that they would be fine. And I and frankly, they need to make a big move. They uh, Texas needs to do something right now because Steve Sarkeesian had such a miserable first season that they have got to make a big splash. And Gary Patterson would be a huge splash as a defensive coordinator. All right, look, we just got a little bit of time left. I want to talk about the Mavericks that Luka Doncic has been out as we record this on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we still don't know if he's going to be able to play. Uh, it's, it's a game-time decision. So, uh, But uh, while he's been out, and of course, they were losing, and we kind of expected that to happen, uh, just what the Mavericks are without Luka, uh, without Luka playing. But uh, I did want, David, to talk about the fact that Kristaps Porzingis has stepped up and even, and this is what I love about him. Whether you love him as a player or not, you got to love what he what he says to the media when he sits down to talk. There is not a player on that team, and there hasn't been a player on that team in I don't know in a decade who's more honest about his situation uh, and relevant to uh, as a player or his relationship with the coaching staff or what it is. And one of the things he said the other day that just blew me away was, "I haven't played like this since I was in New York." Yeah, and, and he's he's very open, and, and I think, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. While some people tell me they think he doesn't have a realistic view of actually what his game is behind the scenes, uh, when he speaks about it publicly, he really does seem to get it. So I, I, I'm just not sure if those were some personality things or, or what. And, and I think certainly he was struggling with his place on this team. Uh, with Luka Doncic and how he was going to be, you know, much much like Scottie Pippen did, much like every other good young player who is a comparable age to the star who has asserted himself at the same at the same point in their careers, right? Uh, because there's always a bit of, well, you know, I'm okay, I'm not as good, but I'm, I'm I can still be the guy. So you have to work through that. Uh, this stretch, while it's been short, yes, Dallas has lost, but Porzingis has played the way they needed to see him play. And now it's okay, build your confidence back a little bit. You know, look, this is a new coaching staff. We're carving you a niche out on this team. You have this niche now. You don't have to worry about it. So now you and Luca get on the same page when he comes back and, and let's work this thing out. We still have plenty of time here. So... This is setting up well once Luca does return, as long as it's not the sort of injury uh, that lingers and you don't really see Luca uh, get back to, to what he was for, for several weeks. Uh, there's no indication that's going to be it. But uh, even in the interim when he comes back, I, I think Porzingis, uh, you know, to me, 
The best thing for this long term is Luca comes back. He's not quite right yet. And so he leans and defers to Porzingis a little bit more than he has. And that builds a little trust between the two that, that you then can cling to kind of going forward. Yeah, that's the issue for me. We It's been very valuable to see Porzingis do this. Can he continue to do this when Luca is back? Can they yes. have the kind of chemistry together where they can play together and be complementary and not be a situation where they, it's an either or? They, they can't they can't win and they can't go deep in the playoffs without both of those guys being the, the kind of players they're supposed to be optimally. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, podcast. We hope that you will listen in uh, continually uh, and get it where you can, wherever you're listening to it. Uh, I know that I'm supposed to have a definitive place to tell you to go for that. Uh, I don't. I've got a definitive place to tell you to go, Kevin. Do you really? That's yeah, you so need to end the podcast there, I think. Thanks, Evan. It's always great to be on with you guys. We'll check you all next week. Hey, everybody, have a th- happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.